Hi, everyone. Welcome back to our second episode of The Portfolio Perspective. Today, we're interviewing Angel Alvarez, former CEO and chairman of ABB Optical. I'm really excited to share Angel's story with you because not only is he the chairman of this business, but he's also the founder. He built this business from the ground up, starting in 1989 in a small room in the back of a warehouse. His story is one of perseverance, vision, and passion, and I can't wait to share it with you. I'm your host, Shruti Rao, and this is Counting on Capital. Angel, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Angel, you are the founder, former CEO, and current chairman of ABB Optical, a leading provider of optical products in the U.S. You started this business in 1989 with just three staff members. Today, the company supplies nearly two-thirds of eye care professionals across the country. How did you first get started in this world of optometry, and what were the first steps that you took to create ABB Optical? So I had uh, several jobs related to the optical space and specifically um, uh, serving optometrists in the optical space. My first entry into the industry and the space was with what is today the leading insurance industry uh, player, a vision service plan. And it's helped me tremendously. The several years I worked with VSP is the the term uh, vision service plan goes uh, by, uh, is invaluable. from there, uh, a mentor, which was an optometrist, that was a doctor on the board of, um, of VSP, uh, told me about a startup company uh, in the United States, which was Siba Geigi, which was a Fortune 50 pharmaceutical company, uh, that they were starting a contact lens manufacturing company called Siba Vision Care. And I worked for Siba Vision Care for five and a half years. So prior to starting um, ABB, I had seven and a half years of industry-related uh, experience. Um, the, the real big nuance that really um, um, catapulted me into making the determination and the decision to uh, go into ABB was the advent of disposable contact lenses and where uh, a transaction prior to disposable contact lenses, a patient would come in and get a pair of lenses on average every 14 months. It was one transaction at the time of the eye exam, very clean, very simple. The disposables were going to be, um, the scheduling was that the patients were gonna dispose of them every week and there was gonna be multiple transactions per patient per year. Uh, anywhere between 12 and four transactions. And I knew right away that the practitioners, and I knew um, the, uh, the practices from actually being and working with them, were just not really set up to do that. And I really felt the supply chain um, was going to really increase in value. And, and that really uh, was uh, one of the determining factors for, for me starting ABB. Angel, it's my understanding that early on this business grew both organically, but also through the acquisition of several regional contact lens companies. Can you explain why this business, at least early on, was so regional and how you thought about the acquisition strategy? So uh, that's an excellent question. So I think when people ask me about uh, the vision of the organization, um, I've always, uh, and in business school at the University of Miami, we're always studying case case in you know, different business cases. And in our case, uh, there was several organizations 
uh, New Era and Nassau Lens Company, both companies over 100 years old uh, and were dominant players. Uh, when I got into the space, there were 48 distributors and uh, we were 48th <laughs> in size. <laughs> we might have been 49th, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, the, um, uh, I had very clear concepts of who and what they were. I uh, did a lot of um, intelligence around how they ran and, and um, uh, did a lot of competitive uh, um, searching on, there was no websites at those times, but um, speaking and, and speaking to employees as we're trying to hire employees and the like. And I had a pretty good feel of they were dominant players. They were more than regional players. Um, and and uh, Nassau Lens Company had offices throughout the country. So that was a model that I looked at and respected more, more importantly. Um, and to me, they really uh, passed the, the test of time, you know, built to last, if you've ever read that book. Um, and, um, and I, but I had to first overcome just being able to uh, keep the lights on, uh, make payroll, um, I, I, I think I came from the other side of the business, meaning the supplier side. Since I worked for a manufacturer, SEBA Vision, I understood and uh, clearly understood what their goals are and how the manufacturer, what they wanted out of the relationships, and I spoke their language, which helped me tremendously um, when, when getting into the business and being on the other side of the table, if you will. Um, so... Originally, um, before the acquisitions happened, you know, uh, just staying in business was critical for the first several years. Uh, and then the opportunity came up where um, the, the margins within the business uh, were really being squeezed. So uh, the transactions were increasing and the margins were going down. Um, and I knew we had to diversify from just being a pure contact lens distributor. Uh, and long story, but uh, I partnered with a Belgian group uh, that had capital equipment, equipment that were used to surface lenses, um, and a manufacturer of lenses, so um, finished ophthalmic lenses. And we got into that business, uh, and it was very capital intensive. It wasn't the, what I was an expert at at the time because I was clearly a, a contact lens uh, um, professional. Uh, and I think what, what ended up happening, we divested ourselves from that business and then adopted the plan of uh, rolling up other, other contact lens distributors. At the time, I was fixated on critical mass. And the way to get to profitability was we weren't going to change the margins that the manufacturers were going to give us or the, the business yielded. So we just are going to have to overcome it by just sheer volume. At that point, we, um, uh, we just started to, uh, we did our first acquisition, uh, which was with RLI, um, which are the, uh, their partners with their specialty insurance company that started with Believe it or not, when contact lenses were $300 a pair, they would sell insurance to the consumers. And RLI stands for Replacement Lens Insurance. Uh, they are also partners with uh, Maui Gym. And that association uh, really allowed me to negotiate with them because they were a specialty insurance company. 
and a contact lens distributor, a contact lens manufacturer, and the owners of Maui Gym, and uh, myself and the president, uh, Mike Dalton. Uh, we had a, a meeting, and I told them, and I had just been aware of what pure sunglass companies were trading at, and they were the multiples were trading much higher. Publicly held uh, sunglass companies were trading much higher than just distribution kind of uh, an organization like uh, Maui Gym was at the time that was into distribution of contact lenses and everything else. Um, and he said, well, that's very interesting. We'll, we'll look into it and call me back. And that created the opportunity for me to, to uh, buy our first acquisition up in uh, Massachusetts uh, named um, RLI Distribution. The financing of that, uh, which is, I think, germane to uh, the topic here, how we end up working with private equity. Uh, we, we did it in a unique fashion. We were the first um, organization that uh, we were working with Wells Fargo, and we had a credit line based equity, um, asset based credit line that we used to acquire another organization. So Wells Fargo at the time told us we were the first ones ever to do it within the Wells Fargo banking system that used an asset-based credit line to acquire another organization. As you know, wholesale distribution, the assets are in the inventory and the receivables uh, that, uh, from the business. So uh, it worked quite well. Um, there were some nuances we had to overcome, like everything else, but uh, um, that, was very, uh, uh, that was our first acquisition. As a founder, you've had the experience of building a business from scratch, doing acquisitions on your own, and then later bringing in private capital. So at what point did you start thinking about bringing private capital into your business, and how did you really think about that decision? So back to the overall plan is to be a national uh, and a leader in the space. Uh, and I think it's not as clear, and I've kind of left out the critical part behind this, which is... Uh, the goal of uh, supporting my, my family. Uh, we're a young family. I have three daughters. Uh, my wife determined uh, that she wanted to stay home uh, to take care of my daughters. This was a huge, <laughs> uh, I would say, a catalyst and I would say uh, motivation for me, right? Because it was very clear, you know, people talk about purpose and vision, and, and that was my purpose and vision. Um, but at some times, as, as we're doing these, uh, we were just talking about the, the acquisition, our first acquisition, I sign on the dotted line, including our home uh, and everything we own. Um, you know, the, the, the debt was higher than my net asset value. Uh, so at some point, you're, you're a little bit numb because how many times can you pledge your same assets? Um, but to, as, as you become successful... Um, you, you, and older, by the way, uh, and, and things happen. You, and, and as you're experiencing uh, ups and downs in businesses over you know, time, you're a little bit more cautious. Um, people ask me all the time, would I have done what I did knowing what I know today? And the answer is probably no. <laughs> but um, the, the point being is that we were rolling up the industry under the system. Uh, Wells Fargo was of tremendous help. We had it down. We, we uh, got tremendous uh, credibility with them, working with them on this. And it was a very good model. But you get to a point, and we were buying smaller uh, distribution companies. So 
uh, and we had a very good model of really just um, getting tremendous synergy out of all the acquisitions. These were smaller organizations that, in essence, the footprint, we would absorb the entire footprint into our distribution centers. So we were able to turn that around quite quickly and very profitably. Um, and it, it was a classic uh, evolution uh, in, in an industry where, and I mentioned we were 48th when we came in, today there's seven distributors of which three are 85% of the total volume, right? So I knew that was going to absolutely happen uh, within our space and you know we were very conscious that we wanted to lead that. So fast forward, uh, we get to the point that what's, what's really interesting and what's available are very large, uh, the larger competitors of which we have to decide if I'm going to you know, bet everything again on the farm, I mean bet the farm again, home, businesses, employees, warehouses, you know, 15, 18, 20 years of work, are you going to bet it all on a, on a successful or decide to, um, you know, partner with uh, outside investors and equity players? For me, that was the determination of, of what, we're, what we were going to do. I just happened to be fortunate enough uh, that the opportunity that we were looking at was another organization in California that had already, I, was, I had been chasing them for years, uh, but they decided uh, to uh, sell controlling interest of their organization to a private equity firm out in California uh, called RLH. And... Um, uh, that's Reardon, Lewis, and Hayden out of, um, out of L.A. And they were a, a boutique type of organization at the time only doing investments in California. They had bought 70% of that um, company. And, of course, their idea was to do exactly what we were doing, which is rolling up uh, these platforms. And they contacted me, and we said, uh, it's interesting because we're interested in doing this, but we're doing this. We don't need you to do this. Um, but when you did the math around um, uh, the benefits of, and expertise, by the way, um, I don't think private equity gets enough credit. In our case, they were incredibly helpful with uh, board members uh, that really helped the, the organization. And making us make decisions and upgrading positions which were critical. Uh, and this is probably one of the most difficult things that we've all had to do uh, as we become a $10 million uh, company to $100 million to $500 million company to a billion-dollar company. So um, when, we, when we come back to this company, it's called Concise Contacts. Uh, they were a large organization. Uh, we ended up, instead of us buying them or they buying us, we merged the two organizations together. And... We, you know, the, the, we did not, uh, it was a cashless merger of which then we recapitalized the organization collectively after the fact. So uh, ABB ended up being uh, the majority shareholder of which at that point then we did a, a couple of capitalizations that really, ha uh, really worked very well and kept us in control of the organization uh, and the majority shareholder, which worked extremely, extremely well for um, several years. Uh, we were very successful in doing several things. We got 
additional geography because they were a West Coast uh, organization and we were East Coast. We got into uh, additional manufacturing that, um, that they had, very profitable portion of the business. Um, we expanded our footprint more national than, uh, than uh, previously. Um, they had a, a, a beautiful company which was uh, a buying group, a doctor-led buying group, and education platform which we, we liked a lot. Uh, not to mention they had a tremendous amount of talented people that we benefited from. So that was really a, uh, our first step into uh, private equity, but it was a merger, not a traditional, you know, uh, um, where they came in and, and acquired the uh, shares of the company. So now that you've had the experience of working with private equity, what do you think have been the biggest advantages and the biggest drawbacks? And when you're considering working with a private equity investor, how do you really weigh their valuation versus the kind of partnership and relationship that you'd expect to have with the firm? So I think the valuations, um, I was taking advantage of valuations uh, because of the probably um, issues in a general economy that just allowed for uh, those valuations. So I think competitiveness amongst private equity, I think just competitiveness in open markets in the United States allowed for uh, higher multiples, uh, certainly in the last 20 years and historically. Um, so, you know, I, I really was uh, kind of surprised at the value that they were placing on the organizations. Uh, then you get a free look at a lot of other businesses, and then you kind of, and I remember when I did the deal uh, with New Mountain, uh, that I felt like I left money on the table, even though I felt that they paid us uh, you know, uh, more than fairly for the organization in, in this marketplace. And it was because, obviously, uh, you know, returns were, in general, going down. Uh, in the in the stock market and 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 money's going to wherever um, it yields the most, obviously, and the model was really working ex- extremely well. And in our case, it it worked extremely well. Uh, our our business also, um, I was surprised to hear it was is very defensive. Uh, I've I've known it, but I didn't understand the value in the marketplace. Meaning. Uh, in the case of New Mountain Capital, they went back, assessed the last couple recessions against our sales, and uh, you know, uh, said very defensive um, uh, uh, industry. In that during recessions, the entire optical industry may go flat, may go minus one percent, maybe minus two percent for the year, but it doesn't go minus fifteen. Uh, the car industry during the last recession went minus forty percent, right? So, um, so uh, learned how we kind of compared to a lot of other businesses and a lot of other industries, and more importantly, what value that generated for the marketplace and investors, right? Uh, there's organizations interested in investing in us just to offset the cyclical nature of their own core businesses, for instance. Never, never would occur to me, but those are the type of things that are just benefits of working with private equity that uh, I was not exposed to previously. 
I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier about how you were able to leverage the expertise that private equity brought to the table to ultimately help grow the business. Can you speak to that and just tell us more about what that really looked like? So I I think taking a step back, um, we formalized our board, um, which prior to that, the board was my brother, (laughs) who's a corporate attorney, uh, don't get me wrong, our accountant, outside of accountants and things like that. Um, But what uh, working with private equity did, they brought in individuals that were... um, very high caliber individuals uh, and paid them monies that, again, something I didn't do, but we had a previous president of of multiple of the manufacturers that we represented on our board. We had an individual that was uh, um, a CEO of electronics distribution business. Um, we have individual who now uh, ran the largest supply chain, the food supply chain in U.S. foods. So, um, first of all, I think just formalizing and getting real expertise on the board was something relatively new for us. Um, and uh, so that's, that's number one. Number two, you have to, as a leader be open to what they were saying, uh, because I, I have enough experience with other individuals that are in my position that lead companies that just don't, um, they're quick to uh, discard information. Uh, and I, I find it extremely valuable um, to uh, take up and, and what, I, what we call best, you know, best practices from other industries and things like that. In fact, I, I would tell you we've probably never come up with an original idea yet. We kind of just copy all these great ideas from everybody else um, that have been proven, that have worked, and to the point that I would tell you instead of when I was younger, uh, I w- we were way ahead of people, and, and I would tell and, you know, our employees we're, we're, we're burning up in the atmosphere, being way ahead of the industry, um, and we can only move at the pace of what 26,000 eye doctors are moving, and that, by the way, is terribly slow. Uh, and I've learned over time that that cadence is something you have to clearly understand within your industry. There's no point in, we, we put out online ordering before the internet and it almost killed us. <laughs> we built 9,000 websites for doctors when nobody was ordering online. Uh, and we found that today, particularly now under the you know, COVID-19, all those websites are now being used. But um, We've been building those websites for two decades now, so uh, so we got lucky with that. But the, the point being that there's a tremendous amount of things that uh, you can learn from outside that you apply inside, a lot of expertise that we've never thought of. It's what we really don't know that uh, really they make the difference on. You know, you, it, uh, people ask me all the time, I said, I, I did not know the value of a real CFO uh, until I hired uh, a real CFO. His name is Paul Sherman. And I mean, I, uh, for the X amount of years, I said, I, could, I should have done this a decade ago. Oh my God, what was I thinking? You know, so those type of things, it's realizations, uh, open-mindedness, you need to want to change, by the way, and expand. So, Angel, we talked about your experience as a founder and some of the early deals. Can you tell us more about how you chose your current private equity partner, New Mountain Capital? When, when we did the deal in California, um, we evolved to 
then um, uh, we um, sold the organization to New Mountain Capital in 2012. And uh, what got us uh, interested in New Mountain Capital was they had done several deep dives within our industry. And I was very impressed by um, their industry knowledge. Uh, and what they came to us with in an, in an open uh, kind of bid situation was that they felt strongly that uh, we could acquire the number two distributor at the time in our space, which was really transform, transform ABB also, uh, and, and almost double the size of ABB that was already a $500 million company. And, um, you know, one of my, one of my goals for no other reason to become a, a billion dollar organization, because you really do need volume in order to drive costs out and, and afford automation and afford the better people and afford. And I was very interested in that. And, and, um, um, they came to the table with that in mind, which was a very uh, uh, differentiator for me. I think uh, their interest in our uh, management team, uh, they came down uh, and asked to make a presentation to all the managers of the organizations. They're the only private equity uh, firm that did that. And I now realized why they did it, because as in the middle of the presentation, I was realizing that the employees were very excited about doing business with, uh, at the time, a, a just a potential investor uh, and differentiated them. The net of all of this is that it allowed me to balance what I wanted to do personally for my family uh, and what I believed was what the organization needs to do f to position it to be successful in the future. So uh, that really, at the end of the day, is why you know I, I, I work today with private equity and a big supporter of it. Done correctly, obviously, you have, to be, uh, you have to be very clear on what your own goals are. Those might not be everybody's goals, but uh, those were mine. And, and um, uh, I can tell you that um, I, I could absolutely be a poster boy for, for private equity because of that. Uh, I, I, you have to be a little bit fortunate and lucky, uh, but uh, obviously um, it worked out for me tremendously. So I'm very grateful. Angel, thanks so much for taking the time. It was great to have you on. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you. So that's it for today. Today's interview with Angel really showed me the role that private capital can play, not just for the economy overall, but for individual entrepreneurs. Angel spent decades building a business from scratch, and what drove him the most was providing for his family. His decision to bring private capital came at a time where he decided he wanted the resources and expertise to dramatically scale up his company, and a partner to start putting capital into his business without having to bet the farm over and over again. While the experience of every founder and entrepreneur who works with private equity is different, I think Angel's story shows that for some entrepreneurs, private capital is a transformative way to build their business. Join us next time when we interview another founder-run portfolio company that's using technology and data to transform healthcare as we know it. We'll be talking to Saurabh Sinha, CEO of Emids Technologies. I'm your host, Shruti Rao, and this is Counting on Capital.